you'll notice on the, uh, the front of the announcement sheet, there is, in a big blue picture, uh, the praise and picnic graphic for this, uh, this next Sunday night. July 7th, uh, we're going to dismiss all of the small groups, and we're going to ask that everyone, small groups, those that uh, are not typically a part of a small group, to come up to the church building from 6 to 8 p.m. July 7th for praise and picnic. There'll be food, there'll be uh, things for the kids to do, there'll be a time of praise, but it's really two hours of time of uh, a fellowship for all of us to, to recognize that we live in a pretty special country that affords us the ability to, to worship in freedom and without a lot of fears that folk in other places the world have. And uh, we want everyone to be a part of that. Remember, no small groups this next week, 6 to 8 next Sunday night here at the church. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer as we think about that scripture that, that Roger read for us a couple of minutes ago. <clears throat> Father, we love being in your presence. And we love acknowledging that we are your children. We love to sing to you. And we love, Father, the fact that you love us and loved us while we were still alienated from you and all of our fallenness. And not only are we grateful, Father, to be saved and to have all of our sins washed away, to be forgiven, but we are grateful, Father, that you have given us a new identity in Christ. And not just a new identity, but a new way of living, a new way of being in this world where so much of the time people do not recognize you or acknowledge you as the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so as we think about this, this, uh, this passage towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, our prayer as it always is, Father, as we approach your word and ask you to speak to us, that you will give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it in such a way, Father, that we bring glory to you in the way that we live in trust and faith, the ramifications and the implications of these, these words from the mouth of Jesus. And this we pray in his name, and everyone says. A little while back, I was in a conversation with a woman that turned to politics. And uh, as you know, uh, political conversations are never lukewarm. They're always one way or another. And uh, the conversation turned toward her dislike of the current president, to which I asked why, and she gave uh, lots of the reasons that you hear uh, for folks that don't like the current president give. And uh, I asked uh, what she thought the answer might be. And she talked about how culture in America has just become so angry. And without hesitating, she said that we needed a politician that could unite our country. And I asked if she thought a person like that would have much chance of success, given the present political and, and this culture, cultural reality of, of micro-criticism. I mean, it seems like you know we're going to criticize the way a person clips his toenails. She laughed and she said, probably not. And I said, well, I hope someone like that is out there. But in the meantime, I think the answer is us. 
The answer is us. That is us learning how to listen, us being slow to speak and us slow to anger. For us, as disciples of Jesus, to model what it means to forgive and not just tolerate, but to truly forgive people. My friends, solutions to the problems around us from politics, human trafficking, mental wellness, poverty, pollution, war, the solutions are not easy. And all of the popular information from media outlets are constantly updating us on the, 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 uh, the, the current status of all of these issues, whether they're social or economic, personal, relational, religious, political, ecological, you name it. All of the events reported on the evening news or on push notifications or blogs or whatever will remain ultimately unsolved as long as humanity, wherever it is found on the earth, continues to ignore the possibility that the answers are spiritual in nature. Our disconnect from God, our, our disengaging our trust in God, our, our life with God and putting it squarely on us is what has started the avalanche of trials and tribulations and griefs and suffering. But those who have, by God's grace, become his children have once again begun to live in the universe as it actually is. Say that again. Those who have, by God's grace, become his children have once again begun to live in the universe as it actually is. We recognize that we live in a universe where Yahweh is not just at the center, but Yahweh is its most important being. And this is one of the ways that we live as light in the world. As, as light, we dispel the darkness. How do we do that? How do we live as, as, as people who recognize the universe as it actually is, that it revolves around God and not us? Well, one of the ways that we do this is to understand that God has a will for not just our individual lives, but God also has a will for this church and every church like it. In Ephesians 3, he's talking about God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That what it is that, that, that God knows and what God is doing and the way that God loves and the way that God forgives, what God's will is for all of the universe and for every single individual, that that can be made known through the church. Now there's a lot that's going on in that verse. But notice that God is revealing His wisdom. God is revealing the wisdom that gives us life. And that he is giving us the wisdom that leads us back to him that is seen through the church. The church actually becomes a window in which the universe, as it actually is, with God as king, can be seen. Now in that verse, he, he uses a special word for church. He refers to it as the ecclesia. It's not one of those fancy Greek words that just means the called out people of God question is, from what were we called out of? The answer is darkness. 
In Ephesians 5, Paul writing to the church says, to, the, to every single individual Christian, disciple of Jesus, that makes up that called out group of, of disciples, he says, you were once in darkness, but now you are what? Light. You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as children of light. You go back one chapter, and he will urge them to live a life that is worthy of the calling that they have received from God. Formerly as darkness people, we have been called out of that darkness in order to live as light people. And again, Paul will say it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will what? As light. Shine. You will shine among them like stars in the sky. The church stands up and stands out for wandering generations of humans to see. In John chapter 1, one of Jesus' closest friends said, in him, in Christ, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. In other words, our life in Him becomes light for individuals and crowds and groups and nations and gatherings and cities and villages and congresses and masses and mobs and packs. And when humans are faced with the worst of life from economic disasters and natural disasters, facing wars, Terrorism, every shade of alienation, abuses of every sort, facing frightening diseases and emotional fragmentation, the breakup of relationships, people should be able to look at the church for answers on how to live. And not only should they find those answers, but more importantly, find the answer, which is God himself in the midst of his called out people of light. And so where do we begin, practically speaking? Let me suggest the golden rule. As, as Jesus comes to the end of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he returns to something that he said earlier at the beginning of chapter 5. He says in chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying that when you look at my life, how I speak, how I act, how I live, what you see are all of the words and the thoughts and the communications from the law and the prophets being embodied in how I speak and how I live, how I interact, how I respond with other human beings. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not just going to fulfill it, but he's going to summarize all of the law and the prophets. And he says it this way. Do to others what you would have them do to you. That's it. Summarizing all the law and the prophets, do to others what you would have them do to you. How much, let's think about this just for a second. How much of the really terrible things in life that are directly connected to human decisions and human actions will simply go away if people lived the golden rule. Now, it's not the complete answer because to be in Christ is to find the, the, the greatest and the truest blessing 
of salvation. But in terms of human being living according to God's will in the world, how much of the really terrible things, the horrible things, the violent things, and the painful things in life go away if we simply live the golden rule? Do unto others what you would have them do to you. Three things real quick about the golden rule. The golden rule is meant to be lived every day. The golden rule is not meant to be dissected. It, it's not meant to be put on a slide and then put under a microscope. But it's a natural way of living as a disciple of Jesus in the world. In fact, if you want the beginning point of what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus, it's right here. This is where discipleship begins. To do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule is meant to be lived everywhere. This is not just a way of life to be lived everywhere, and, and, or it is a way that is meant to be lived everywhere, and not just with your family or, or with your friends or at church stuff or with the people that you really like or even the people that you just feel safe with. It's to be lived everywhere. It's, it's meant to be lived out in the world wherever we go. So we ask the question every day, what does a golden rule spouse look like in a marriage? What does a golden rule parent look like in a family? What do golden rule kids look like in a family? What does a golden rule employee or a golden rule boss look like in the marketplace? How many emails would be destroyed or put in the trash if we just practiced the golden rule when it came to writing emails at work? What does a golden rule Walmart shopper look like? Or Target, or HEB, or Whole Foods, or wherever you go, Central Market. That it, it is a way of, of living. Not only every day, but everywhere we go. And the golden rule is meant to be lived with everyone. The really interesting thing about the golden rule is that it completely reverses the way that you gauge your day. You don't gauge your day by how others have treated you. You gauge your day by how you have treated other people. The golden rule answers the question, what is the right thing to do here? Now, the answer does not always come easily. Sometimes the answer requires a lot of imagination. But you're basically asking, how would I treat another person if they were as important as me? Golden Rule Living teaches us a lot about grace because at times the Golden Rule will challenge us to treat a person with grace and not as they deserve. So, a couple of examples. Traveling on the road, you know, 410-1604-35281-I10, you name it. And you get into one of those traffic situations where somebody is, you know, traffic is bumper to bumper and somebody's needing to squeeze into your lane in front of you. What do you do? If you were in their shoes, what would you want someone to do if you needed to squeeze in? And what would that be? Step on the brake a little bit, allow them to come in, and congratulations everyone, road rage has been abolished in America. Sort of. A waiter or waitress is not doing the greatest job. 
You ever been to a restaurant and the waiter or the waitress just seems to have forgotten you? Ellen and I uh, were in a restaurant one time. I finally had to walk out because uh, it was like we were invisible. We were in there for 30 minutes waiting to order breakfast. And uh, nobody showed up with menu, so we got up and left. Uh, just recently, Everett and I, uh, we go out to lunch often. Uh, we were at a meal together, very busy restaurant. Uh, the waitress could have been doing a better job. Uh, we had ordered uh, coffee. Uh, everything else came, but the coffee was missing. And, uh, I mean, we could have said something at that point because we were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and she didn't seem to be paying much attention to us. But Everett asked how she was doing. Asked her how she was doing. Rather than jumping on her, and the next thing you know, she's all teary-eyed because somebody has asked her how her day is going rather than jumping all over and then he said, you know, we're going to pray over our food in just a minute. Is there something that we can pray about with you? Maybe these things that are upsetting you. And at that point, you know, she, she melts at that point. There's a golden rule. How would you want somebody to treat you? Extend that to somebody else. Don't roll your eyes. Show compassion. Uh, recently, as we were uh, flying to Israel... I, you know, I, I'm always going to be that guy, uh, it, mainly because I, I like to sit on the aisle, but I'm always going to be the guy that the flight attendant spills something on. And it's happened multiple times before. One time, uh, Ellen and I, we were flying to Brazil with our kids, uh, and uh, the flight attendant dumped uh, a tray of tomato juice on the front of me as I was getting out to go to the Pan American Lectures. <laughs> you know, what do you do? So we're flying to Israel, and uh, really good flight attendants, really good airline. We're flying into Frankfurt, Germany on the way to Tel Aviv. And uh, the, uh, the flight attendant, as she's passing out the food, dumps what looks like broth or, or condensation or something from the hot meal on me as she's passing it across, the, across me to Ellen and another person. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, great, now I'm going to smell like, you know, every, everybody loves chicken or, or I'm going to smell like broccoli and cauliflower souffle or something. And, uh, and she looked down as she saw me begin to wipe myself off. And she says, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I said, hey, you know what? Accidents happen. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think it may just be water. And she said, well, listen, let me help you get cleaned up, and then I'll come back and check on you. And she came back and checked on me. It turned out it was just hot water. But we could have had a, a scene on the plane, and there was no reason for it. And a flight attendant could have been embarrassed and could have been belittled on a plane, but she didn't have to be. What, what would Jesus have done in a situation like that? This is why the golden rule is so important. And so I want to give you a challenge tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to call Golden Rule Monday. Golden Rule Monday. Tonight, in your small groups, you have a couple of questions to help you get ready. You'll find them at the bottom of the, ser the, the sermon outline from today. If you're not a part of a small group, you can do this on your own. We'll encourage you to, to get with a small group. But if you're in a small group, you're going to be going over this. These are the two questions. Number one. What are creative ways you can use to remind yourself to live the golden rule all day on Monday, tomorrow? And what I'm asking you to do is to figure out ways 
that you can begin your day and you can end your day and you've thought about living the golden rule all day long? What are the creative ways that you can use to remind yourself that as a disciple of Jesus, somebody walking in his footsteps, that you are going to be living that golden rule 24-7 tomorrow? Not just when it's convenient, not just when you happen to think about it, but that you can be reminded all day long. You may need to write it on your hands. You may need to write it on a sticky note and, and put it up in several different places. You may need to commit yourself to saying Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 multiple times during the day. But then the second question is, what do you anticipate the most difficult part of your day to be living the golden rule? I mean, think about it. You're going to find yourself in some situations tomorrow in which it's not going to be very easy to live the golden rule, to live as a disciple of Jesus in summation of all of the law and the prophets. To live that golden rule is a difficult thing, and it's going to be made difficult by certain circumstances and people tomorrow. What are those? Identify, think about them ahead of time, and then pray about it. Pray about it ahead of time. Pray for God to... To, to, to sanctify your imagination so that you can come up with some creative ways to live the golden rule so that you're not caught off guard, so that you know, you know, when I get on a plane, I just know, hey, the opportunity for somebody to spill something on me, it's great. Think ahead of time what's going to happen. When you go into a restaurant, the service I hope is great. I hope the food's delicious, but what if it's not? What if you need to send something back? How can you do that in such a way that God is glorified, that people see you as somebody different, that you're light in the darkness. And pray about it. Traveling down the road, if you have, if you have issues with, with people and the way they drive, pray about it tonight as you get ready to drive tomorrow into work or to drive home or to drive to different appointments or business meetings or to lunches or whatever they might be. But spend some time thinking about it and praying about it so that you're not caught off guard. Now, we're all working towards being able to respond like Jesus without thinking about it. But as we begin this, and especially as we focus on this one particular verse tomorrow, let's think about ahead of time, where are going to be those difficult moments? Where are going to be those difficult points? And to pray about it. And then the third thing I would ask is, if you have a, a, an opportunity to share with me, you can do it by email, you send a text, and you had a, a golden rule moment on Monday that you'd like to share with me or share with the staff or the elders, whatever, you can send that to me, uh, email, text message. You can call me, send a letter, send a telegraph, Morse code. I, you know, I don't care. You know, so you write it in a, a, a note and slip it under the door. But let us know about it. And let's encourage each other with the way that we, as disciples of Jesus and members of the MacArthur Park Church of Christ, Tomorrow, show ourselves to be a window in which people can look through us and see what the kingdom of God is really like. We're going to sing a song right now. It's an invitation song, and you know what that's all about. It's an invitation song. It's about inviting. And the invitation is for you, if you've never given yourself everything that you are, your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, if you've never given those things to God, your Lord and your Savior, and you'd like to do so today, we want you to come forward and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together.